0: Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. I'm joined today with Dr. Catherine Lomas for a conversation about the First Punic War, a war that took place in the 3rd century BC, BCE, between Rome and Carthage. So today, Dr. Lomas joins the show to talk more about what scholars know about why the war occurred, what happened during the war, how it ended, and what were some of the long-term implications that the war had on the Mediterranean basin. Dr. Lomas is an honorary research fellow in the Department of Classics and Ancient History at Durham University, based in the UK. She's author of a couple books as examples, The Rise of Rome, 1000 BC to 264 BC, which was published by Harvard University Press in North America and Profile Books in the UK. And she's also author of the book, Rome and the Western Greeks, 350 BC to AD 200, Conquest and Acculturation in Southern Italy, which was published by Routledge. Welcome to the call, Catherine.
1: Hi, it's good to be with you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: You're welcome. It's great to have you on the call and to chat with you today. So let's start with a broad overview question to get the dialogue going. What was the first Punic War?
1: Um, well, it was a, the first of three conflicts between Rome and Carthage. And this really set Rome on the path from being a power within Italy to uh, the, where it eventually ended up, which was domination of the Mediterranean world. So it's it really, really is the beginning of the... Rome's expansion
0: uh, into a, from a, a regional into a, into a, into a world power. Okay and now when um, we'll get into um, a question or two about what's leading up to the, the, the war and why it started, but can you describe so before the war starts, can you describe um, Carthage and Rome, the individual uh, governments at that time, in terms of their faculty, so what their, their strength and competency was? Um, in whichever way you want to take it. You could take it um, uh, from a military perspective and or other areas. And then also, can you describe what each of those um, governments' um, territory would have been demarcated to if you were to describe it on a map?
1: Okay. Um, Well, perhaps to take Carthage first. Mm -hmm. um, Carthage was uh, basically, um, its, its central area of domination was North Africa. Uh, it's uh, on the coast of what's now Tunisia. Um, but it also has territorial and commercial interests in quite a wide area of the, the Western Mediterranean. Um, by the third century BC, it has it's the dominant power in Western Sicily, um, around the cities of um, uh, what's now Palermo, Barcelona um, and Trapani. Um, it mm-hmm. uh, had domination over Corsica and Sardinia, uh, and it also had some protectorates on the eastern coast of Spain. Um, it was founded by the Phoenicians in the 9th century BC, but they, they they faded out of the picture, and once they faded out of the picture, Carthage really is the main maritime and commercial power in, 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 in that part of the Western Mediterranean, the, mm-hmm. the islands, North Africa, and, and the Spanish seaboard. Mm-hmm. Um, Rome, in contrast, uh, Uh, grew from uh, being a a very, uh, you know, relatively small state in central Italy in the uh, sixth to eighth to sixth centuries BC, Mm -hmm. uh, into a power which really dominated Italy um, by the beginning of the third century. Um, And it conquered Italy um, uh, really in, in various stages. It never actually directly administered Italy, which is Kind of quite an important point because it, it that relates to how, how it developed militarily. Um, what it did as it, as it expanded was that it made alliances with its defeated enemies which prote- uh, brought them into a sort of Roman protectorate. They, they, were, they were self-governing states still uh, but they, they they were allowed to keep their own uh, identities uh, but they had to give men to the Roman army and that made, made, meant that Rome had this huge political reach and a huge pool of military manpower without really Um, having to crack the problem of how you govern a big empire with effectively city-state machinery um, because it was governed basically by a popular assembly, the Senate uh, and and, uh, annual elected magistrates which the consuls were the most senior. Um, Hmm. So both Carthage and Rome are effectively city-states and have very similar structures of elected magistrates plus an army um, uh, drawn from their various allies. But... um, Rome has quite a sort of disparate hands off relationship with it, with a lot of its allies. Um, The other factor I should mention, which is is an important background to this, is what happens in Sicily, because um, the fifth and fourth centuries B.C. are dominated by a a conflict for power and territory in Sicily between the Carthaginians who basically own the western part of the island um, and the Greeks who own the rest of it, um, of which Syracuse was the most dominant state. Uh, So what we have effectively at the beginning of the 3rd century is a very complex situation where Rome and Carthage um, are really the two leading commercial and military and political powers in the western Mediterranean, Uh, but also Syracuse is quite quite powerful as well. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of competing interests. Um, And I think one of the things which is really relevant to this um, and to the extent to which Rome and Carthage were already sort of on on, on each other's radar from really quite an early date is that the Greek historian Polybius, who wrote in the middle of the second century BC and who is our earliest surviving source for all this, uh, says that there there were at least three, uh, sorry, at least two, uh, possibly three, although he discounts one, uh, treaties between Rome and Carthage. Uh, by the middle of the fourth century, um, he thinks that one might have been as early as the, the sixth. Uh, the disputed one is 306, and then was one in 348. And um, these all regulate t- t- commercial and territorial interests, um, where and how the Carthaginians and the Romans were allowed to take military action, uh, how they were allowed to trade each other and, with each other, and where um, the disputed one, uh, the Treaty of 306. Uh, it's supposed to have explicitly said that Rome was required to keep out of Sicily and Carthage was required to keep out of Italy. um so they're sort of on each other's radar and in each other's face if you if you see what i mean enough by the early by the beginning of the third century for for it to, to actually need quite a lot of regulation um that you know they clearly clearly um you know there's a certain amount of competition there um between between the two powers mm
0: mm-hmm. Do historians know before the first Punic War? Because you mentioned there were some treaties in place between Rome and Carthage uh, in the fourth uh, from the fourth century. Do historians know if there was any um, wars between Rome and Carthage, or any um, key battles that occurred before the first Punic War that may have been a uh, uh, antecedent or precipitate of creating these treaties?
1: Um, not 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 wars as such. Um, we know that um, every now and again there are very sort of opaque and very passing references in, in, in our sources to, mm. to various things that we don't, can't put a context on but sort of add up to the general idea of two powers keeping an eye on each other. Um, there's a uh, fourth century uh, author who's a Theophrastus who's a contemporary of Aristotle who makes this passing reference to the idea that Rome tried to found a colony on, on Corsica in the fourth century. And we don't know whether this is true or not. We don't know anything about it. But, you know, I just put it out there that there was that tradition in uh, a okay. fourth century source. Um, we know that when war, Rome was at war with um, the Greek general Pyrrhus the, in the early third century, that the Carthaginians turned up and sort of just kind of, you know, their navy just kind of sat there and observed for a bit and then went went away again. So there, there is this sense that Carthage is sort of interested in the Italian seaboard. It's kind of mm-hmm. sniffing around. Um, we know, for instance, that it had a treaty with um, the Etruscan city of Cairo, which is just north of Rome, uh, in the early 5th century. Um, there's a famous series of gold tablets found at a place called Pyrgi, which is the port of Chira, um, which is bilingual in Etruscan and uh, Punic, and it, it records a, an alliance between the two. Um, and some noble Etruscan families have... Um, uh, Formalised uh, ties of friendship with with um, the, the Carthaginian elite. So there's quite a, there's quite a web of contacts between 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 various bits of the the Italian seaboard and and Carthage. But there, do, there doesn't seem to, seem to have been any big military action that um, caused these treaties. It's, it's just a sense that you know the, these are two powers which you know have a shared area of interest and are, are powerful enough to want to keep out of each other's way and to demarcate the sphere of interest.
0: Yeah, at the least it sounds like they uh they, they were aware of each other.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: Yeah. Um so leading up to the start of the war, um do scholars have uh an opinion about what if if one of the two parties had a clear advantage over the other, or is it generally believed that these were two Rival forces that were pretty evenly matched.
1: Um, I would have said pretty evenly matched, uh, but not necessarily with competen- competences in the same areas militarily. Okay. Uh, Carthage is very much more a sea power. Uh, Rome doesn't really have that much naval capability until until the the early years of the war. Um, there's a, a famous incident in the two eighties when the Roman fleet apparently sails round into the Gulf of Tarentum. Uh, in contravention of a treaty, and the Greeks of of Tarentum, who who really are a big sea power, steam out and absolutely wreck the Roman Navy. (laughs) It's it's, 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 it's got got a couple of squadrons of ships, but it it it, it can't stand up to to anywhere with with serious naval power. Um, The other thing which Carthage has, which seems to have been really quite fearsome, both in the First Punic War and later in the Hannibalic War, is um, uh, Numidian cavalry um it had a real cavalry capability in a way that rome doesn't because rome rome's strength really is uh heavy heavy infantry um uh, partly with the roman legions which are drawn from the roman citizen body um uh, but also all its italian allies um, you know are culturally rather similar and tend to fight in a similar style so you know it's all very much um, heavy inv- infantry um, and um, so there, there is a sort of mismatch in capabilities, but not actually in strength. If you if you see what I mean, it's um, you know Rome has the edge in, in infantry warfare, but Carthage has the interest. It has the edge at sea, um, mm-hmm. and possibly in cavalry as well.
0: Okay, um, you painted a a very vivid picture of the uh, the scene and the environment leading up to the war, in terms of the relationship between these two. You mentioned treaties, for for instance, and they're both. Mm-hmm large forces and they know of each other. Um, so what ends up happening then, can you speak about the inception point about uh, when the actual war begins and what were the circumstances that uh, caused that event to occur?
1: Okay, uh, well this is a bit where I'm afraid it all gets sort of very curly and opaque because yeah, okay. the, the outbreak of the, the First Punic War is a very strange event mm-hmm. indeed. Um, the antecedents to it an, it is an incident in 289 BC when a group of Italian mercenaries, not, not Romans, they probably come from Campania, um, who were employed by Syracuse, uh, basically go rogue. Uh, they capture the uh, Sicilian city of Messana, modern Messina, on the Straits of Messina. Uh, they eject or kill the Greek population um, and then take over the city. And obviously Syracuse was very keen to get the city back. Uh, So there's a a struggle between uh, 289 and the mid-260s, when the uh, post-Punic War breaks out, uh, for control of this city. Um, And where we're at with that in uh, 264 is that Messana is being besieged by Syracuse. Uh, Carthage, because it is an enemy of Syracuse, sends a force to help Messana. Um, uh, But the people of Messana, the Mamertines as they're called, uh, have the bright idea of appealing to Rome for help on the grounds of kinship. Um, You know, the basic logic seems to be, you know, please come and help your fellow Italians. Um, And Rome, after a certain amount of um, uh, political um, uh, pondering, agrees to do that sense of force. Um, And as soon as Messana knows that it's getting Roman help, it kicks out the Carthaginian garrison, which is really not a terribly smart thing to do because of course it ends up being besieged twice over, once by the Carthage and once by Carthage and and once by Syracuse. Um, So it's very difficult to work out what exactly is happening here, or even whether Mm -hmm. any of these sides really intended to go to war for Sirius. I mean, it seems clear that what Messana wants is protection from Syracuse rather than Carthage. Um, but somehow its actions and this rather clumsy appeal to Rome and the fact that Rome answers it uh, manages to draw all three into the war. Um, hmm. uh, what Rome seems to have wanted really is to sort of smuggle a garrison of Roman troops into Massana to uh, keep an eye on the situation uh, and because it's a useful asset it, it obviously controls a, a very strategic hmm. seaway. Um, so. Quite what was going on diplomatically and is, 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 is militarily is, is a bit unclear. Um, it's also quite unclear what's going on politically at Rome, because you know, if you look at this from the point of view of what's in it for Rome, uh, you know, that, that's not terribly clear either, um, apart from the strategic concern I've just mentioned. Um, some scholars have suggested that uh, some Roman politicians have family and commercial interests in southern Italy, um, the family and the frame particularly the who, um of whom three were consuls in the, the 260s and 250s. Um, and that this group of people sees promoting war as a way to expand into Sicily to protect their South Italian interests. Uh, but the evidence is very limited for that. Um, we don't, you know, we can't really pin that down. Um, mm-hmm. What we do know is, from our ancient sources, is that the Senate is divided. Um, and that war is uh, really only declared after Appius Claudius Ca- Caudex, the consul, persuades the popular assembly to back it. Um, so there seems to be a certain amount of reluctance in Rome, um, and the political situation on the ground in Sicily is, is, is very complicated. Um, and I think one thing that's quite significant is that even in the ancient world, sources are very divided over who was the aggressor in this. Uh, some people think some authors think that Rome was the aggressor, some think Carthage w- was the aggressor. Um, others think uh, that the fact that both have expanding territorial and commercial interests in the region basically makes conflict inevitable. Um, so it's it's very difficult to pin down what exactly is going on at this stage. And wh- when I talk about the first stage yeah. of the war, you'll yeah. kind of see what I mean. Yeah. Um, but the, the one thing I would say is that because ancient sources... Uh, are all writing even Polybius, who's writing only a century later, are writing with a crushing degree of hindsight. There's a real tendency to try and see, try it try and shoehorn all these rather messy events into a, into a very simple narrative of Rome versus Carthage, um, and some of what we see on the ground doesn't really bear that out.
0: Yeah, and I know sometimes when you're going back a couple thousand years, and historians and contemporaries at that time. Didn't have mm-hmm. uh, communications tools like we have today. Sometimes the mm-hmm. evidence can be scant, so I completely yeah. understand that. Um, but your answer is very good, and you've you've um, you've painted a picture for the scene that uh, around the start. I want to clarify. So, Sicily, you had said earlier half of half of it was controlled by Greeks, I believe, in the east part of the yeah. island, right? And then the west part of the island was controlled by Car- people of Carthage. Yeah. Okay. So then so when when this is starting is anything known about uh, the what side the Greeks were on do we know at, at this point or does that come later I want to clarify that point
1: um, well at the this this really really fits in with uh, what happened in the first phase of the war okay. which is basically the first two years um, because uh, when the war starts um, Rome um, has to go cap-in-hand to its, its, its Greek allies in southern Italy, um, you know, Greek colonies in southern Italy, uh, to, to ask for, for help to get across to, to Sicily because it's, it doesn't have, have much naval capability. Um, uh, but at that stage, uh, Carthage doesn't even seem to have been Rome's primary target um, because pretty much the first thing that happens once the Roman forces arrive is that Appius Claudius, the senior consul, offers a negotiated settlement to all three sides. Um, and then that's rebuffed. And mm-hmm. then after that, he he, he attacks both armies. Uh, but he seems to be fo- focusing on the Syracusan forces rather than the Carthaginians. And in fact, he seems to have been spent most of uh, 264 to 262 BC just kind of chasing the Syracusan army around Sicily. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the sense, in that, that first phase, it isn't even the Punic war. It's uh, Rome versus Syracuse. Um, mm-hmm. Which um, you know, so it sounds a bit, sounds a bit crazy when we think about what the war is called. But um, there does seem to be that that phase where um, Syracuse, as being the most powerful power actually on the island, is is Rome's main target, mm-hmm. um, and that really focus really only changes in two sixty two when mm-hmm. uh, uh, Syracuse um, voluntarily makes peace with Rome. And it's at that point then it, when Rome the really start, starts homing in on Carthage, and, and Carthage becomes the main target. Um, so there, there is this sort of very opaque period around the outbreak of war and the first two, two, first two years of the conflict where it's not even really very clear who, who Rome is fighting.
0: Well, two hundred and sixty-two. Let's pick it up there then. Is so? Is yeah. that is that when Carthage really gets involved? Like it's it's for certain, Carthage Carthage is really involved at that point. And can you speak about what's known about what happens? Why they got so involved at that point?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, Rome takes out Syracuse by making peace with it, and and, and you know having dealt with one enemy, it then it then homes in on 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 the other. Um, uh, but quite why. There, were, there is that shift of emphasis. It's, it's, it's really unclear. Um, I mean, it's possible that it's uh, this has been driven by Carthage, that, it's, that maybe Carthage realises that it's, it's actually Rome rather than Syracuse, which is its its, its big threat in, in Sicily from this point onwards. Um, or it's possible that, that Rome now sees that Carthage is the biggest threat. It just seems to be that you know, the, the the these two seem seem you know. Once Syracuse has sort of opted out of the conflict by making a treaty with Rome, they, they they then have to decide whether they're going to face off or off against each other or back off. And they they choose they choose to continue fighting.
0: Okay, all right. So, what are the key events um, uh, that happen in in the in the war? Is there is there a few key events if we speak about the the war itself now at this point yeah. that were either very um, uh, marked or uh, pivotal that may have shifted the uh, balance of power um, during this uh, period?
1: Yeah, well, the, the first sort of five years of the war proper down to about 257, it's very it's very much a naval war. Um, and one of the things which is key here is that uh, Rome starts to build its own fleet for the first time. Um, it builds a fleet of 120 quinquereens, which is the state-of-the-art warship of Hellenistic navies, um, apparently basing their design on a captured ship, but with uh, a couple of key modifications, um, of which the main one is the introduction of something called a corvus, uh, which seems to have been a Roman invention, which is basically a hinge gang gangplank with a big prong on the end. Um, and the uh, the idea is that, you know, once you've come up alongside the ship or around it, you drop the gangplank, the, the spike, digs into its deck so it can't get away and then all your marines can rush across and and capture the the board the ship and capture it Um, so what seems to be going on here is that carthage is raiding the italian coast uh, but then rome builds his fleet um, and the 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 ancient sources talk about um, you know them being really quite ingenious sort of getting the getting their crews to sort of sit on benches on dry land and practice rowing in sync and things of that sort Um, uh, but then there are a couple of the, 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 that actually leads to a couple of um, uh, key naval battles at the Battle of milai uh, in 260 and then Tindarus in 257 uh, so that really puts Rome in the ascendant and uh, it also allows the Roman fleet to go raiding Malta and Sardinia and Corsica um, so that 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 phase that first five five years it basically is you know Rome pretty much in the ascendant with this fleet and also they, they, they destroyed Carthage's main supply base at Acragas on the south coast of Sicily. So, who's um, leading,
0: um, if, uh, Catherine? Who in that first five years? How would you summarize who's leading in the in the war then? Because you, may, you, it sounds like there's uh, uh, activity on both sides. You mentioned that Carthage mm-hmm. is raiding the the coast. You mentioned Rome. Yeah. Rome is building this fleet in that first five years. Uh, who do you think was uh, leading in the war?
1: Um, I think Rome probably had the upper hand at that stage because it seems to have had these quite, two quite quite uh, significant naval victories um, and um, obviously as it uh, created more naval dominance it meant that Carthage couldn't go raiding in Italy and, and also Rome was retaliating on some of the islands.
0: Okay, all right so and uh and a point of clarification so that it's clear for everybody the the time frame we're speaking about we're sort of in the first five years how how many years does this war go on for uh
1: well it's it, it goes it goes on for um 23 years 264 to 241. okay uh, so really this is the phase um up to 257 which is the the period when rome is really sort of building its naval power
0: yeah okay Okay, so that creates a bit of a like a chronological linear picture yep, for everybody. Yep. Okay, so then all right, so so we're past that first stage. What is is there a way to, uh, and I know to some extent it's uh, semantics and arbitrary the phases of the war, but is there a different? Is there a second stage that that uh, that you believe that you can um, that you can cover?
1: Yeah, uh, between two fifty six and two fifty three, uh, Rome really sort of ramps things up because it tries to take the conflict into Carthage itself. Um, it amasses a force of uh, 330 ships and about 140,000 men uh, and sets off to, to, to assemble, to to, ev- to invade North Africa. Um, Carthage just intercepts it and there's a huge naval battle uh, off Cape, Cape Echnomas on the south coast of Sicily and in fact that's famous as one of the biggest naval battles ever. Um, and the Carthaginian fleet is, is, is fairly decisively de- defeated at that point. Mm. Um, but uh, Rome, once it arrives in North Africa, doesn't actually make much headway. And in fact, is, 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 uh, suffers, its army is, is quite heavily defeated fighting in North Africa. Uh, partly becoming back to what I said about Carthaginian cavalry, because they have this uh, really effective cavalry force, um, which Rome doesn't. Um, and then things go to, from bad to worse the following year because a rescue mission sent out in 255 ends badly because there's a, a big storm and most of the, the fleet is shipwrecked.
0: Uh, who's, um, uh, for clarification, Catherine, whose who's fleet is shipwrecked? Uh,
1: uh, sorry, the Roman ship fleet is shipwrecked. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there, is a, there is a slight... A, 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 a famous story associated with this, uh, which is that um, Attilius Regulus, the, con- the Roman consul commanding the, the army in, in North Africa, uh, is captured by Carthage and sent back to negotiate peace. Um, and then he fails because the Senate is completely intransigent and says he wants to fight on. Um, and Attilius, being a, a good, upstanding chap, respects his oath to go back, despite the fact he knows Carthaginian is going to kill him for failing to make peace. Um uh, so the, there is a, there is a, a story that there may have been a sort of point where things could have made could have could have ended there, but in fact mm-hmm. a lot of people think that that is not actually accurate. You know that it, it just seems to be one of these sort of, you know, noble consul you know in his sword for the sake of his fatherland sort of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, at this point we see we you know Rome tried to take the war to the Carthaginians on their own territory failed, uh, and we have effectively have a period of stalemate. Um, Carthage gets acragas back, so it's got a proper supply base again in Sicily. Um, Rome constructs a, a new fleet, uh, apparently in double-quick time, 220 ships uh, inside three months, which is quite some mm. going. Mm. Um, and uh, that allows it to blockade japana, uh, modern Trapani, uh, and it also captures Panormus, um, Palermo. Uh, so it's it's basically taken two of the two of Carthage's main bases, um, and that clears the way for another attempt at invading Africa. Um, the, the problem here is we we don't we know next to nothing about that second African campaign. Um, we know that Sempronius Blissus, the Uh, Roman general who led it was awarded a triumph so he must have done something fairly successful Uh, but again we know that it there was another setback it was Rome was pushed back out there was another rescue fleet shipwrecked Um, so basically by the time we get to uh, uh, to, 252 we're we're, we're pretty much in a state of stalemate.
0: Okay and uh, so so we're at 252 Um, would you say that Rome's naval power was uh, caught up to the Carthaginians at this point, or would, the, would Carthage still have a stronger naval power?
1: Um, I think they were probably both level-pegging at that point. I think they probably had caught yeah. up with each other. And certainly, if Polybius is to be believed, um, and he's usually quite accurate about things like numbers, um, uh, Rome seems to have had a, been able to, to uh, build new ships at an absolutely phenomenal rate. Um, I mean, 220 in three months, it's really quite some going. Um, having said that, they both both sides seem to be losing ships at quite a rate as well. So you know, clearly there's a lot, both a lot of money and a lot of loss in terms of uh, ships and manpower going on on both sides. Mm.
0: Okay, so we're at 252 and the war wraps up in 241, right? Yeah. Okay, so in this... Uh... Next next stage, um, and if and, and how many stages do you describe if you were to break this down? How many stages total in this war?
1: Um, well, I think if you discount the um sort of slightly weird, ambiguous state is a, a stage between mm-hmm. 264 and 262, where mm-hmm. it's not really, really clear what's going on, there, there, there seem to be four main stages, okay. Um so I think I think you know you can probably see uh, 252 to 244 as a as a separate stage, and then the last two years of the of the war, 40, 43 to 41, um, as, as a sort of final wrapping up phase.
0: Okay, yeah, that's that's helpful. Okay, so was there any key events in this next uh, stage then that you want to share?
1: Yeah, uh, what we what get in, in, in the next phase is uh, a very marked change of strategy by both sides because they're now both focusing on land-based warfare in Sicily. Um, but again, neither army can really get the upper hand. Um, we know that Carthage managed to sneak some fo- reinforcements past the Roman blo- sea blockade into, into Lillibaeum. Uh, and that sort of uh, puts pressure on the besieging Roman army on the landward side. Um, We also know that Rome suffers a a notable and very embarrassing naval defeat off Dripana in 249 uh, when uh, the commander, uh, Claudius Polka, allows the Carthaginian fleet to trap him. Um, I mean, probably the most notable thing about that is a very famous anecdote about Polka, which basically blames him for the disaster, um, not just because he was a tactical idiot, which is undoubtedly true, uh, but also because when uh, he took the auspices and to consult the gods for the omens before the battle, um, which is done by means of feeding a bunch of sacred chickens. Uh, the sacred chickens refuse their food. Um, it's a terrible omen. You're not supposed to fight under those circumstances uh, but his answer is let them drink and he dropped a chicken coop overboard and drank a lot <laughs> and of, of course that that, that is a mm-hmm. really bad look for the romans to, to ignore the gods like that so it was kind mm-hmm. of you know according to the roman sources you know this was a man who had it coming um, but uh, in the the military you know sean of the uh, the interesting anecdote the, 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 the military basis was that he just he just let the, the carthaginians trap him um, Probably the, the, the turning point in this period uh, is around 247, when Carthage acquires a new general, uh, Hamilcar, uh, who is um, probably better known to history as, as Hannibal, Hannibal's father, uh, but was a pretty good general in his own right, uh, is appointed. Um, and he pioneers a completely new set of tactics. Uh, he, instead of getting bogged down in, in, in sieges or, or pitched battles, uh, he's, uh, uses very fast moving raiding tactics and he has quite a lot of success with, with, those. And in fact, that's where the family surname Barker comes from. It's derived from Barak, which means lightning in Punic. Um, so effectively we have a long period of stalemate, but with a, a certain amount of, of, traction, you know, by use of new, 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 tactics by, by Han by Hamilcar at the end.
0: Do historians know, um, where Hanukkah originated from like did he does he come from northern africa did he come from the iberian peninsula is there any knowledge about that
1: yeah the um, the barker family uh, are um, carthaginian aristocrats um they're, they're members of the carthaginian elite um and in fact after the war hamilcar becomes really the the most prominent Car- carthaginian politician you know really built on uh, on his uh, achievements in the war the connection with spain is that um one of the um which is something i can talk about a bit Please. later if, okay. you, if you want me yeah. to is that in the aftermath of the the war carthage uh, refocuses and tries to rebuild an empire in spain and it's Car- hamilcar who really leads that and his later career is spent mostly as governor of spain uh, but in origin he's he, he's one of he comes from one of the elite families of carthage
0: is that where uh, Cartagena in Spain uh, gets yes, formed yep, as a yep, city? Yep. Yeah, yes, I yeah, visited.
1: That's
0: exactly it. Yeah, I visited Cartagena before. Beautiful ah, city. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so then, uh, what do you want to share n- next? Then, as we go through this uh, this war.
1: Yeah. Well, pr- probably the, 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 just to just to wrap up the events of the war. There is a the last two years of the war are really both sides being very very depleted in terms of finance and um in manpower uh polybius says that uh, a new roman fleet of another 200 ships to, has to be effectively crowdfunded um they, they launch a private private prescription prescri- uh, to, to pay for this uh but it wins a very decisive naval battle battle off the 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 agates islands uh, which is 20 miles off the um and we have quite a lot of archaeological evidence from the area, from underwater archaeology. Um uh divers have found bronze rams, which seem to have come from the, the ships in the battle. Uh, they found armour, weapons, amphorae, um, you know, evidence of of, of you know shipwrecks from warships. Um uh, but after that the Carthaginian fleet retreats to Africa. Um uh Rome recaptures Acragas, so um, basically the Carthaginian supply chain is cut off again, um, and that is effect- in effect the end of the war uh, because Hannibal, you know, is, is, his army is so depleted he can't carry on. Uh, so he asks the Carthaginian government for permission to make peace, um, and that's uh, the, and, and then sets about negotiating a, a treaty with Rome. Um, so that's basically where it all ends with the uh, this. Big naval victory for Rome um, off southeast Sicily, Um, and then you know this capture of of, of the main main supply base, which which leaves Hannibal really without anywhere anywhere else to go in terms of um, you know military room for manoeuvre.
0: So you mentioned uh, the supply base. Where was the? uh, For clarification, where was that supply base?
1: Uh, Acrogas, modern Agrigento on the which is on the southeast of coast uh, east coast of Sicily and it's really the bit which is closest to Carthage in terms of sea sea crossing.
0: Okay, um, earlier you mentioned, um, and it and it could be a, a tradition or it could be a myth. It sounded like it wasn't clear in the sources if this actually occurred about um, someone in and correct me if I'm wrong, but someone in Carthage going up to Rome to try to create peace with, uh, with Rome. W- was there ever any other efforts up and before this point in time for either party to make a real effort uh, at an armistice or at, at peace?
1: Um, not once the war really got going. Um, there, there was uh, an attempt right at the beginning to, for Rome to basically try to broker a peace between Carthage, Syracuse and Missana uh, at, a war, at a war entirely. Um, The incident in 255 is, um, after the Roman expeditionary force is is captured in Africa, uh, involves uh, Aetilius Regulus, who's the Roman consul commanding the army, um, and the the Carthaginians sent him back to Rome saying they would like to make peace, um, but, you know, extract an oath to go back, whatever happens. Um, And the Senate refuses, um, basically, um, says that he wants to fight on. and the, but the, the story is really a sort of Attilius Regulus as a sort of moral exemplar of a noble Roman because he keeps his oath and goes back to Carthage and, and goes back into captivity, even though he knows that they're going to kill him because he's, he's failed. Um, but a lot of historians actually discount that and think that it is just Attilius Regulus as a sort of moral exemplar rather than a, a serious attempt to make peace. Um, as far as we know, the, the only real peace negotiations were the uh, ones which which ended the war in two forty one, uh, which were some involved some quite heavy duty penalties on Carthage.
0: Okay, and thank you for clarifying the affiliation of that uh, Roman commander. Had that uh, yeah. the affiliation inaccurate? Um, okay, so what were the uh, terms that were settled on at the end of the war?
1: Um, well, these were quite ferocious. Um, Uh, Carthage wasn't actually bound permanently to Rome in any way, uh, but it had to agree not to ally with any of uh, Rome's allies, which included all the Italians, and by that stage, most of the Sicilian Greeks as well. So it was basically using this as a way of sort of squeezing Carthage out of Italy and Sicily. Um, uh, The other thing it had to do was to cede control of all its territory in Sicily. So it basically was sort of completely out of the picture in Sicily from here on in. and it was uh, required to pay fairly substantial reparations to rome uh, which was set initially at uh 300 3200 silver talents uh which is about 83 metric tons of silver uh so quite heavy um i did i did a, did a few back of the envelope calculations and it came out as uh, uh something about somewhere in the region of 650000 pounds in modern british currency um uh But that wasn't all, because in 237, uh, Rome claimed that Carthage had actually breached the treaty uh, by uh, trying to get back into Carthage and, and, uh, sorry, into into Corsica and and Sardinia. Uh, And then it it added an extra extra clause to the treaty that said that uh, Carthage, in addition to ceding all its territory in Sicily, had to cede Corsica and Sardinia to Rome as well. Um, and the, uh, pay, the, the bill for reparations went up at that point by an extra um, uh, 1,200 talents. Um, hmm. So Carthage is really sort of been pushed into a position where it's got to pay Rome re, re, really an awful lot of money by the, by the, by the standards of the day. Uh, and also it's lost a lot of its territory in the western Mediterranean islands. Uh, it's really been pushed back into its sort of African heartlands. Um, and that, 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 that treaty actually caused quite a lot of bad feeling and it's had quite bad repercussions for Carthage because it destabilized Carthage in all sorts of ways,
0: um, oh, okay. as well
1: as well as stoking up um, you know, long-term hostility to Rome.
0: Okay. When you look back at all the events, and there was a lot of events, how many, um, uh, if this can be estimated, how many uh, battles, as an estimation, would have occurred in this, uh, during these 23 years?
1: Uh, oh, that's a, that's a difficult one. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can we could we can probably pin that pin down the uh, the, the the big set piece sea battles uh, quite easily, uh, which from the outset to about six or seven, uh, possibly slightly more big set piece naval battles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the warfare in this at uh, this date, and particularly in terms of the the sort of Hannibal Bar- Hannibal Hann- 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 Carvaka's type warfare of, of lightning raids uh, is very much skirmishing so it's it's not so much big set peace battles it on, on land it tends to be sieges uh, there are obviously several battles in in north africa but we don't we know very little detail about the north african campaigns um mm-hmm. what we tend to know a bit bit more about is the naval war um uh, because um you know polybius and and various other of our sources um you know actually give us figures for um you know, how many ships were sunk, how many ships survived, how many new ones were required. Um, so we probably know a bit more about, about the war at sea than we do about the war on land.
0: Yeah, and I guess if someone's not writing about the skirmishes or the battles, we do not know about it contemporarily.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the problems with the the, fir- with the, the First Punic War is that, uh, you know, we don't have any contemporary sources. Um we have uh, Polybius, who was writing uh, in the middle of the second century B.C., um, and we know that he used um, earlier accounts by Fabius Pictor, the, the very earliest Roman historian, and a whole raft of third uh, century B.C. Greek writers, uh, many of whom were from Sicily. Um, and we also know, because he tells us about it really quite a lot, uh, that he's very, very keen on people doing their research. You know, he's, actually quite modern in in his approach to history because he says that you know it's no good being a historian and just sitting in a library you've got to go out and sort of look for your documents um and that that's one of the reasons why 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 there's a dispute over the number of treaties because he um, says that he went to the irarian the public record office in rome but he could only find two treaties and not the third one um which uh, he knows about because it was written about by a, a a sicilian historian Uh, So, yeah, one of the issues is is basically our source material is is later and therefore written with a crushing degree of hindsight. Um, uh, uh, And the sources which could have told us something a bit more contemporary don't don't survive other than, Mm. you know, fragments and quotations in in, in other other authors. Um, And it's also not the sort of thing that you tend to have lots of archaeological evidence from. Um, As I said, underwater archaeologists have dredged up um, you know, quite a lot of military equipment from one of the naval battles, but you know, it's not not the sort of thing that you would, you know, have vast amounts of, of archaeological evidence for either. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So, what do you think the long-term implications uh, were that this war had on the region, and including included in that, had on Rome and Carthage?
1: Right. Well, the, the big long-term implication, really, is that this is the transformative moment that sets Rome on the, the route to um, wider Mediterranean domination. Um, it had already established, um, as I said at the beginning, it's, its control over Italy between 340 and 270 BC. Uh, but this is the first point where it really moves beyond the Italian mainland. Um, but in Car- Carthage, in, in contrast, ends up on the, very much on the back foot and having to having to completely re reshape re, re its priorities um, one of the things interesting things for rome is that this is the first point uh, because this is the first point that it moves outside italy um it really has to start thinking for the first time about how you control non-italian territory um uh, as i said earlier the uh, control over italy is is by a network of alliances um uh, selective grants of, it of Roman citizenships and communities and, and, and colonies of Romans sent out to various points in Italy. Uh, so it's very much a sort of network of, of quite ad hoc r- relationships. Uh, but that's clearly not going to work for somewhere, you know, a bit more far flung. Uh, so Sicily effectively becomes the test bed for the development of the Roma, of, of, of Roman provincial government. Um, the Romans appointed a governor to administer administer directly, um, and this is the first time that Rome has actually tried tried direct rule of conquered territory. Um, so it it really, uh, although most of the, the the most of the the island is, still, is is still under independent Greek rule at this stage. Uh, Western Sicily becomes a, a very uh, becomes directly ruled by a Roman governor, and then that that is, that is subsequently extended to the uh, to the whole of the rest of the island once Rome conquers that in later in the third century. Um, mm-hmm so effectively uh, Sicily uh, and then uh, Corsica and Sard- Sardinia separately become the first two Roman provinces um so it it, it introduced a whole new model of, of how Rome controls territory um, The other thing which is um, is, is significant is that uh, the war completely destabilizes Carthage politically um. One of the things that happens in the immediate aftermath is that there is a very bitter and vicious war between Carthage and its own mercenary troops, uh, which isn't anything to do with Rome. It's a complete own goal by Carthage. It it refuses to pay them, which is never a bright idea. Uh, And that triggers a rebellion. Um, And there's widespread devastation in in North Africa. Um, And this is where Hannibal Barker again comes to the fore because he's the man who's responsible for, for suppressing that revolt. Um, reviving Carthaginian prosperity, um, and um, then uh, reshaping Carthage's foreign policy, uh, because he's the man who really pushes the idea that the way forward, uh, now that Carthage has effectively been driven out of the Mediterranean islands, it is to move to Spain uh, to use its claims on the old Phoenician colonies of places like Cartagena and, and um, Cadiz. Uh, to start building um, a protectorate in Spain. Um, and that, that's the connection between Hamilcar and his son Hannibal in Spain because he, he then goes off to Spain uh, to spearhead that um, and um, his uh, son's, uh, son Hannibal um, then grows up in Spain and, and um, that's you know, the connection between, which, which then leads to the Second Punic War, the, the Hannibalic War. Um so it really does reshape destiny quite a lot for both mm. Rome and Carthage in, in their separate ways. Um and also it's uh, I think it, in a real sense it does show it does show the, the the seeds of future conflict. Uh because uh firstly the Carthage is incredibly bitter about the, the, the heavy the heavy reparations imposed on it. Um Hamilcar in particular is supposed to be quite anti-Roman particularly after 237 when Rome pulls a fast one and takes more territory and, and increases the, the payments um, and the fact that you know, we get into a position where uh, Carthage is, is, is now building an empire in Spain uh, at the same time as Rome's territorial interests in Italy start sneaking northwards. Um, across the, the river Po, which is regarded as the border, northern border of Italy in the, in the ancient world, uh, and into um, uh, what we call northern Italy, what they call Cisalpine the Gaul. Um, so basically, Carthage and Rome would start as Carthage expanded northwards through Spain, and Carth- uh, Rome expanded northwards towards northern Spain and southern France. Uh, you know, you you see where this is going. It, mm. You know, we've got another another potential area of conflict mm. building up, which is what eventually triggers the, the next in the series of, of these wars between the
0: two. Thank you for providing such a detailed answer to probably what was the closing uh, question of the main part of yeah. this episode today. <laughs> um, in your research, did you ever get a chance to go down to the vestige, vestiges of Carthage in Tunisia?
1: Uh, no, I've never actually been to Tunisia. Um, I know my way around Sicily quite a lot because my one of my principal research interests is in Greek colonization and settlement in the Western Mediterranean. So I've, uh, I, know, I know, know my way around the, the, mm-hmm. the, remains the, the, the uh, ancient sites in Sicily, but I've never actually been to Carthage. It's one of the things I'd really like to do sometime.
0: Yeah, me me as well. It was a pleasure having you on the show today, Catherine. Yes,
1: thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me
0: so again everybody the couple books that i mentioned at the start of the episode that dr lomas wrote as examples um, she's done a lot of work on rome so the first book was the rise of rome 1000 bc to 264 bc and the uh, second one that i had mentioned was rome in the western greeks 350 bc to AD 200 conquest and acculturation in southern italy I'll drop links to both the books in the show notes on the Ithacabound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Catherine and everybody listening, as always, wishing a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.